0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold.
1: Welcome to episode 99 of the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum, and today I sit down with author and Bible teacher Jen Wilkin. We discuss the value of reading God's Word independently and in community. Jen shares a few simple tips for women struggling to spend time in God's Word, and she shares encouragement for those who feel overwhelmed with how to even begin consistently reading God's Word. What I love most about today's conversation is Jen's love of God's Word and her desire to help women dive into it shines through. If something from our conversation resonates with you, contact me and let me know. You can email me at graceenoughpodcast at gmail.com or direct message me on Instagram at GraceEnoughPodcast underscore Amber. Knowing what resonates with you and connecting with you after these episodes is one of the primary reasons I enjoy podcasting. So please, I would be overjoyed if you were to reach out. So without further ado, let's jump into episode 99 with Jen Wilkin. Jen Wilkin, welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. Thank you for being here today.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me on, Amber.
1: Yes, I have already introduced you and all the things that you do in the intro. And so I'm going to start out by just asking you, how did you come to know Jesus?
0: Oh gosh, okay. I'm I'm a I'm a career Southern Baptist at this point, um, and I have the most unsouthern Baptist conversion story ever. So, to all my um, Baptist friends, please forgive what I'm about to say, um, but take it up with the Lord. I I don't know when I became a Christian. I was saved I love as it. a child. Yeah, I was saved as a child, and so I have a memory. You know, when I was probably five or six of being in children's church and we were singing a song that was into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And I thought, I better sing that like I mean it, you know, just to, just to make sure uh, that he's really in there. But, um, I, I don't really have a time I can point to where I would say I didn't know the Lord and, um, I'm so grateful for that. Uh, but I don't have the typical before and after. I'm sure I was plenty bad um, as a small child to to need the Lord. But the Lord was gracious to not walk me through some of the things that others walk through before they meet him. And uh, um, so, yeah, that's my story saved as a child.
1: Yeah, I love that, though, because we do take it for granted a lot. It's very easy to take for granted that you're fortunate to grow up in a family of people who walked with the Lord. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just a Sunday type of Activity, Mm -hmm. it doesn't Mm -hmm. sound like. Well, you have been leading Bible studies for so long now, but it started, I'm pretty sure, in your home. And so take us back to that time and what really prompted you to start leading Bible studies and what did those early days look like?
0: Well, I actually, before we moved to um, the Dallas area where I am now, I did have the chance to teach at my church. That was kind of the first place that it started. Okay. Um, but then when we moved up here, the church that we joined, uh, which is still my church, um, the village church at the time did not have environments for women to study the Bible. So I was like, what do I do? <laughs> I was accustomed to having someone give me a room and childcare and set it all up. Um, but that just wasn't part of their ministry philosophy at the time. And so I did start teaching in my living room. Um, and we started with, uh, I had seven women. I think there were nine that committed um, that first semester, seven that were kind of regularly attending. And, you know, there was a week I remember where one girl showed up because everybody else had something that came up. And so I taught one girl in my living room and um, we just started going through books of the Bible. And... Um, I learned, I would say in those living room days, I learned how to be a better question asker uh, with regard to like writing curriculum and things like that, because you have this immediate response to this question you wrote that either tells you that they got the point or that they missed the point. So those were really important years for, for me formatively, just in terms of how I thought about learning outcomes. And I think that's something that is sometimes not talked about when we talk about women's Bible study. It's like someone should teach you information. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the living room days, I I learned the importance of that dialogue um, and of hearing back from the learner where they are getting the learner to repeat what they're learning. So really just basic things that anyone who has an education background could tell you, but I didn't have an education background. So the living room helped um, shape me in terms of my philosophy of Christian education and what it
1: means to be an active learner. I love that. And I love that you say there was a few times that only one person came, yeah. right? Because it's so easy to forget about small beginnings. And they're so that's where the majority of discipleship that's and Bible right. teaching take place. That's right.
0: And those are and and really there are things that will only happen in a living room that will never happen in a big room full of learners. And there are many days that I reflect on what I miss about the living room days, which is not to say I'm not still having conversations in my living room. I think that the whole large format Bible study thing can look uh, exciting and glamorous or whatever, you know, and there are benefits to it. There are some really great aspects to it, but there are always trade-offs, you know, between different environments and the reality is, is that the majority of us will, will will always be in a living room. I certainly thought that would be me. I did not ever expect to be anywhere bigger than that. And that those are hallowed spaces. Those are really important spaces where people are uh, meeting with the Lord in community and, and are able to dialogue and have conversation and, And even though I know now I'm the person whose head is on a screen a lot of times (laughs) in people's churches, that, that may be a starting point, but it shouldn't be a a permanent Mm -hmm. solution for what we're doing in the local church. And those living rooms are filled with living, breathing women who are Mm -hmm. interacting with living, breathing women who, who have the context of relationship for one another. And that's just a really, really uh, precious thing.
1: Yeah. Well, and when you get in a, setting like that and you have these women who consistently are together, the way that someone will open up after two or three sessions together is far different than when you may just sit in a room of, you know, 50 even to hundreds of women one night and open up. It's just very, very different. And so I know as a mom of three and kind of moving even out of that, you know, I'm not in the toddler phase anymore, but I remember one of the biggest questions that I would hear from people when I was in that phase or from working moms even now is how how do you have time to do this? I'm so, I'm just busy, you know, I'm struggling all the time. And so how would you encourage that mom who truly is busy—it's mm-hmm. not even actually an excuse. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they truly are busy, but they're struggling to spend time consistently in reading and studying the Bible.
0: Yeah, the struggle is real. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm a, I'm a mother of four. I had four children in four years, and so I remember definitely those fuzzy, like, where am I? What's happening? Times. And um, I think there are several, several things I would say. First, I would reassure the woman who is in whatever phase of life. It might be caregiving for an aging parent. You know, women are typically primary caregivers for at least one other human being. So, um, and just one other human being can be a very busy uh, thing for us, depending on the human being, right? (laughs)
1: That's exactly right.
0: So, so um, it is it is a reality of womanhood, and um, and so I would just reassure women that the Lord knows that He knows that better than mm-hmm. you do. He knows exactly what you 're up against in any particular stage of life, and so um, you should relax in that and you should know mm-hmm. that you 're not being asked to be superhuman you're only right. uh, the only thing that is ever asked of you is what is reasonable right uh, yeah. and so I do think it 's important during busy times for us to have sort of a fallback plan for how we 're going to continue to be learning and growing and and for many women that means um they need a little bit of accountability from some other people so i would say if at all possible find some buddies who can hold you accountable just as you would do if it was your workout plan that you were wanting to stick to and you're having trouble um, doing and i think there's a myth out there that personal bible study time is the sweet spot um, and the reality is the Bible is meant to be understood in community. So there mm-hmm. is a role for personal study time, but, but it, it, needs, it, it needs to be pointing us toward a shared conversation around the scriptures. Otherwise, we sort of become a truth uh, unto ourselves if we're not careful. Yes. So I would say get some accountability, find some people who will help hold you to some sort of structure, because structure always helps us when we're in very busy times, and then find a structure that works for you. So it may be that a reading plan is what works best for you during that season. Um, It may be that some deeper form of study works for you, but it doesn't happen um, every morning at 6 a.m. for 10 minutes. It may be that it's twice a week for an hour and a half,
1: or, or 45
0: minutes, or whatever you can carve carve out. But I, I think we have mythologized the, the quiet time yep. uh, as the highest and holiest form of approaching the scriptures. And I would argue that a quiet time format doesn't lend itself to much more than devotional reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not the devotional reading is bad. It's just that um, it's not necessarily a growth plan uh, with yeah. regard to, to learning the scriptures. So the other, the only final note on being in a busy season of life that I would add is that we go in and out of these seasons. And it's important to recognize when you've moved into a less busy season of life that you don't stay with your fallback plan as your approach to the scriptures. In fact mm-hmm. during busy seasons we draw on the times in our lives where we do have more time to to give and so be sure that as you pass in and out of a busy season that you readjust uh, your plan and your expectations in a level yeah. appropriate to the time that you have
1: yeah well and that's something too having been um, a member of bible study fellowship and community yeah. bible study uh-huh I so often encourage anyone, I'm like, they have night classes, they have day classes, they have phenomenal children's programs, they've got men's classes. I mean, and it is a way where you're studying it on your own and you're studying it with a group. And then you're also, you know, receiving expository type teaching. And so it is a true gift to young mamas and really anybody, I feel like. Mm
0: -hmm. You just actually articulated one of my key principles of Christian education, and I call it the three-legged stool, and it is that personal time, group time, and then sitting under teaching. Those things, if you can find those, even as someone who's in a very busy stage of life, it will help you to prioritize and value the work. Um, So, you know, I always say, you know, discipline isn't dead among the, the church. It's just the discipline Follows the most compelling message, and so mm-hmm. you know. I mean, anyone listening to this knows that we do give our time to the things that we value Absolutely. and treasure. And I'm not saying that in a judgy way. Like, why don't you value the Bible more? Like, we need help learning to value yes. the Bible, but recognizing that and then finding ways to help build in us that desire and help us to set aside the the time requires um, reaching out to things outside of our own, uh, or at least for me, outside it of my own self control and discipline. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've sat in group and people just said, oh, I never looked at it that way until you said that. Or I read that question and I saw something totally different and you've helped me to see it in a whole new way. And that is the value of community and coming around God's word. And so, you know, a couple of the things that you have written Really, I feel like do help people um, to study God's word, and their go-to books for me, particularly "Women of the Word" and "None Like Him." And so, when you think back to when you wrote those, what led you to write those books?
0: <laughs> uh, a phone call. I uh, I never pictured being an author, which is my dad that's hilarious now that. well my dad should be upset about that because he definitely paid for me to get a degree in English but um you know I just I I never and I've always loved um I'm a communicator I knew I as a communicator I don't think I knew I was a, a writer necessarily although I knew I could write and I did enjoy it yeah. but I had no plans to be a published author and I had but I was blogging because I needed space to communicate additional ideas that I wasn't having time to get to in my Bible study setting, and um, so it was kind of like my overflow space. And I had had a blog post get picked up by the Gospel Coalition. Yes. I had to Google what the Gospel Coalition was. I did not know what it was, um, and then I remember I screenshotted. Uh, the first time they put one of my articles up because um, I thought this is never going to happen again. Like, this is incredible. Wow. And uh, so within <laughs> about three months of that post going up, uh, and it was a post about Bible literacy. So I for sure oh, wow. thought was going to read it, you know, but yeah. it just uh, took off on them. It just took off. And some of that was because it was one of the first times they had put a, a female voice on on TGC website. Okay. Right? And they they learned and I learned. Uh, what we now know commonly about blogging is that when more women read those That's things right. than men. So, at any rate, uh, the, a publisher, Crossway, called me. I remember being on the phone with Dave Dewitt, and he said, "I'm just calling to ask if you have a book in your heart that you would like to write." And I'm on this call. <laughs> I remember where I was I'm sitting.
1: Ventilating.
0: I remember <laughs> what I was wearing, and I'm like, th- I'm thinking think up what you would write on, like come up with an idea right now on the spot. And the very first thing I said was the pitch for none like him. It was the oh, wow. actor I wanted to write on the incommunicable attributes. And he said, okay, well, do you have any other ideas? And I said, well, I could write on you know, the methods that that we're using for the Bible study here. I said, I don't know if anybody would read it.
1: Oh my Uh, goodness.
0: (laughs) And and he said, let's start with that. And so uh, I sent a sample chapter. They sent it back and said, this is terrible. They they said it much nicer than that uh, because I was so frustrated at the point that I started to write. I was so frustrated with what I wanted to see happen for women and what was happening. And they were like, you're going to have to find a a gentler way to communicate your ideas. And so I did, which was a really good spiritual exercise for me too. (laughs) And that's how women of the word came to be. And then to my shock, people wanted to read it. And so that gave me the opportunity to write none like him, which is the book I, I feel like. If I never write another thing, I wanted people to have those ideas. Sorry, mm-hmm. didn't mean to cry on your podcast, but um, that's the thing. I want women to learn the Bible, but I want them to learn the Bible because I want them to be just bowled over by a transcendent God. And that's what, none then like him, was an opportunity to talk about at length.
1: Well, and it is is a—I—I I was gifted it actually by one of my best friends who was the Bible study fellowship teaching leader yeah. at the time. And I just remember sitting down with it and being like, yes, these are all of the things, just who God is. And I wanted to give it to other people because it's so hard to communicate yeah. to someone what you have seen God to be in your own life yeah. in just a normal conversation. And so um, it is a resource definitely that I use and give away quite often. And so talking about, though, about not – only doing devotional reading. You did recently write a piece, I think, it was it for Christianity Today? Yeah. I think, okay. Yeah. Um, that's titled, Your Devotional is Not a Bible. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think you spoke on that recently too. Was that maybe with Lifeway or maybe you didn't? Um I think I
0: did touch on it. I think you're right. I think I did a Lifeway event where I touched on some of it.
1: Yeah, because I remember somebody sharing it and me being like, yes, amen. (laughs) It's not. So share a little bit about that piece and the importance of not using a devotional as a substitute for God's word.
0: Yeah, well, I first want to be very clear that I'm not saying that devotionals are bad. Um, right. There are people who use my books uh, as devotional yes. reading, and, and I certainly stand by what I wrote. You know, I think it's valuable, or I wouldn't have invested the time in it. Um, I, one of my first exposures to devotional literature was Oswald Chambers, My Utmost mm-hmm. for His Highest. And so there are really, really good devotionals out there, but we need to be honest with ourselves. There are a lot of really, really not good ones. And many of those are marketed specifically toward women. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the main limitations of devotional reading is what we ask of it as readers. And because we ask this of it, publishers will give it to us because it sells books. And that is this, that we would be able to sit down and have 10 to 30 minutes where we read a, a passage, which we don't have the context for often. Uh, and, and then we ask it to deliver something to us in the 10 to 30 minutes that we have to give. Uh, and what we're asking it to do most often is to comfort.
1: Uh, yeah, tickle our ears.
0: Comfort or encourage. And, you know, there are plenty of passages in Scripture that are intended to comfort and encourage, but there are also plenty that are there to convict and exhort. And so one of the biggest limitations of a diet of, of reading that is, predominantly or certainly entirely devotional is that we get an unbalanced view of the scriptures and we believe that they are there to make us feel um, only positive emotions and that they will give us those positive emotions if we are just faithful to give um, a little touch point of our time. And uh, I actually think the Bible is deeply encouraging from start to finish. Uh, But if we want to understand that deeper level of encouragement We've got to go deeper in the, in the ways that we're approaching it. So devotional reading has its place. It's just not foundational, and it's meant to be put on top of a foundational understanding of the scriptures. And when you have the foundational piece in place or beginning to be in place as you're learning the tools to gain it, then you're better able to discern between a good devotional and one that is perhaps pandering yes. to your emotions.
1: Yes, and something that is just wanting you to feel good. Yeah. All the time. And I mean, yeah, we all want to feel good, but it's just yeah. not it's not real life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> I wish it was, but it is not, okay. right? <laughs> One day. That's right. Yeah. Well, so if somebody is listening today and they just simply feel discouraged when they think about mm-hmm. reading the Bible, what are a few simple steps that you would encourage someone who just feels overwhelmed? by the whole thing to begin reading. Yeah,
0: I think first of all, you have to um, get over the the wrong assumption that you're the only one. I think Mm -hmm. we think it's our dirty little secret that we don't know what to do and we're not sure how to get there. And we think maybe everybody else really is enjoying this. Why is it so (laughs) terrible for me? Maybe I don't really have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. If if he's in there, he's not telling me to read my Bible very loudly. Uh, And so um, I I do think that uh, usually the first step is to say, yeah, I don't don't know this the way that I should. I'm not sure what I'm doing. I need help.
1: Right. And
0: then, uh, and, and I'm probably not alone. And I promise you, I have been talking about Bible literacy now you know, for over 10 years, working with the Bible literacy tools for longer than that, it is everywhere. You are not alone. But I would say the most basic starting point for those who are ready to make a shift is the most overlooked and simple tool of all, and that is repeated, repetitive reading.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and and not, not just like taking uh, your favorite passage and reading it a whole bunch of times, but taking an entire book of the Bible starting at the beginning and reading to the end and then going back and doing that again. Mm-hmm. And I think the temptation is when you start to learn to use this tool because of the other ways that we've been told to function with regard to the scriptures is you, you start that initial read through and you can get bogged down in thinking, oh, I don't understand what I just read or, oh, what is that? You know, how am I supposed to use this? And um, we actually don't get to ask the question of how we're supposed to use it until we've done a fair amount of meditating on it. Mm-hmm. And by meditating, I don't mean uh, anything mystical or magical. Meditating is, a, is an act of the mind. Um, it means that we have taken it in and we have chewed on it over and over again. And so um, the big joke among Bible teachers is when you get asked, hey, how do you prepare a lesson? As we say, well, the first thing I do is I read through the passage. And then my next step is to read through the passage, you know, and then you say it <laughs> over and over again. It's hysterically funny to Bible teachers who are not the funniest crowd out there probably. <laughs> uh, but it's no different for the average learner, you know, yeah. and, and the, the beauty of it is if you can read, you can, you can do this tool. And if you're not a very strong reader, if you're a better listener, well, good That's news right. You actually are in a larger tradition of approaching the scriptures than those of us who are actually reading the text.
1: That's exactly right.
0: The vast majority of, of, of believers throughout the centuries have not had printed copies of the text. So get that app that, that reads to you and, and, and let it read to you as you go about your day. And I think you will be amazed what mm-hmm. that repeated uh, approach will do. You'll begin to make connections between repeated language. You'll start to see the themes emerging. So um, that would be the the first step I would ask you to do is to just simply pick a book, stay there, and read repetitively.
1: Well, and I love that because there are two things I say really regularly to people. And one is when a child is learning to read or learning language, what do we do?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: We try to read simple books over and over again. So they pick up on the language. Bible reading is the exact same thing. And then number two, why do you feel like when you listen to a book you're not reading cheating? <laughs> <laughs> what do we again do to our children? We uh-huh. would say they are reading from age 2 to 4 if we sit and read out loud to them
0: yeah.
1: every day. Mm-hmm. It's the same with us. So take the guilt away. Listen audibly if that's what's best for you or if that's what you have time for today. Yeah. And then secondly right. is remember repetition That's how we learn.
0: Repetition is the mother of learning, many wise people have said. That's right. Yeah, and I think, too, I think we underestimate the battle we're up against with our attention spans. Uh, You know, we all can recognize that they've been eroding, you know, Mm -hmm. over the past 10 years, certainly. And then they erode just with age, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm almost 52, and I'm like, gosh, I'm calling my kids by the wrong names. So, oh no, I'm doing that too at 42. I'm really in <laughs> uh, And so I think that we, we don't always appreciate what we can do to counteract that. And one mm-hmm. of the things that you can do is these repetitive practices that are yeah. slowly, you know, like maybe the first day that you start to read, you only read for five minutes and it's really hard, but then maybe the next day or, you know, as you progress, you're able to extend that time longer um, but to set some little goals for yourself, because if we talk about meditating on the word, we're saying by definition that we're going to do a sustained practice of mm-hmm. focusing in on it. And that's something that is that that everything around us is militating against, our phones, the TV, the news cycle, uh, then, then just those normal busyness things that are, have been a part of, uh, of all humanity from all time, children gotcha. needing to be fed, jobs that we're going to, to work at, um, just the daily responsibilities of life.
1: That's right. Well, Jen, as we close up here, can I ask what do you have anything on the horizon for you? You writing anything, working on anything?
0: I do. Um, I actually have two things that are coming out uh, in the spring that are kind of related to one another. I'm, I'm, the first half of my Exodus study will release in May. So that'll cover chapters one through 18. And then chapters 19 through 40, we'll release that um, on time for a fall uh, release. So in December, I think is when that's going to come out, December of 2021. And then in March of 2021, I have a book coming out on possibly, you know, the most energizing topic ever. I know.
1: I'm scared.
0: The Ten Commandments. So
1: <laughs> You know what, though? There, I haven't read one in a long I mean, I yeah. bet it's going to be good.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I feel like that's part of what the Lord has called me to do is take things that people are not interested in and (laughs) try to get them interested in them. And I really, I feel like the Ten Commandments, after spending a lot of time in the Sermon on the Mount, the Ten Commandments Mm. are just a gift. So that's Mm. what I'm hoping to communicate in the book.
1: Well, Jen, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. I um, absolutely appreciate your time and your care and concern for women learning scripture.
0: Well, it's been such a joy to get to chat with you and thank you for the work that you're doing to help draw women closer to the word.
1: So what resonated with you for my conversation with Jen? Send me an email at graceenoughpodcast at gmail.com or a direct message on Instagram at graceenoughpodcast underscore Amber to let me know. I look forward to hearing from you and y'all next week the 100th episode of Grace Enough Podcast goes live. It's a special conversation between me and my children where my children came up with questions they wanted to ask me about the podcast. I really believe you're going to love it as they were so sweet and genuine in their questions.
0: Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.